Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Our first scripture this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthless things, and became worthless themselves? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives? I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination." The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, once more I accuse you, says the Lord, and I accuse your children's children. Cross to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord from the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to a house of the leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, They were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy, and Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, If one of you has a child or an ox who has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. When he noticed how the guests chose places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place 
And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He, see, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. So today's story from the Gospel of Luke is situated at a meal. A lot of Jesus's, the recorded stories of Jesus are at meals, aren't they? Meals are important in our lives and in the lives of people of all times. They nourish us. Quite often they gather us around a table from the places where we have been. They are a place where we, if we are willing, can focus our attention on what is going on in the lives of others. Now, when I was growing up, most, it seems to me that most every Sunday after church, my family would go to my grandmother's house for lunch. And I remember my grandmother's table at a place where we gave thanks, where we were fed wonderful food, where we were loved, and where we were valued. When you added my aunts and uncles and cousins to the mix, there were too many people to fit at my grandmother's dining room table, and so she would set up card tables in the adjacent living room. And all of the children, unless you were so small you had to be in a high chair and had to sit with mom and dad, you know, all of the children would sit in the living room at the card tables. And we didn't mind this. We loved being together. It wouldn't have occurred to any of us to say, can I move up to that adult table? We were having too much fun on our own. And I suspect the adults, while in retrospect, they might have wanted to come to our table. They were glad to be with their fellow adults. But we learned about around that table how to be family. At that table, there could always be a space made for another, another person. So in our gospel lesson today, we have a Pharisee who has invited Jesus to a meal. This man had seen Jesus in action. He knew that Jesus was healing and teaching. He knew that Jesus saw uh, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures through a lens that was a bit different than his own. He knew that Jesus was attracting a following. So this Pharisee invited some of his fellow Pharisee friends to join him for a dinner with Jesus on the Sabbath day. They would all get a close look at this man everyone was talking about, and Jesus does not disappoint them, does he? 
So as the gathering begins, all eyes, we are told, are on Jesus. And Luke writes that just then, just then, in front of Jesus was a man who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is an ailment where the, the limbs, the arms and the legs become terribly swollen, and it's a painful condition. And I wondered as I read that this, about this man suddenly appearing at this dinner, did he just appear out of nowhere? I guess so. So Jesus looks around and asks his hosts and the guests, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They say nothing. And so Jesus does what Jesus does. He goes and heals the man, and he sends him off happily, I'm sure, on his way. And then he turns to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were there, and he, he asks this question. He said, or he tells them this. He said, of course you would heal on the Sabbath, because you would, uh, if your donkey fell into a ditch or your child was in trouble, you would help them on the Sabbath. So healing on the Sabbath is indeed permissible, and again, they said nothing. Well, it must have been a relief when it was time for dinner to be served with all that silence, right? So, they gather around the table and we see that Jesus wasn't the only one being watched, but Jesus was watching them as well. He noticed that these dinner guests were jockeying for position at the table. They were all seeking places of honor for themselves, either next to the host or next to other guests of honor, I'm sure. It doesn't say they were seeking to sit next to Jesus. Perhaps they were. And he also noticed that no one gave the host a chance to tell people where they should sit. It was every man for himself at this dinner gathering. So we see that what happened here is that Jesus noticed things about those people that they had long since given up noticing about themselves. He saw through their actions straight into their hearts. Jesus has a way of doing that. You know, these Pharisees had worked hard to be Pharisees. They were admired and respected, and they likely served God quite honorably. But it seems that they might have been a little too accustomed to the honor that comes with that position. So Jesus tells a little parable. Now, when Jesus tells a parable, it's never a sweet little children's story, really. There's always something in a parable that's below the surface designed to make us think. This parable is about a familiar situation. It's about a wedding banquet. Now, weddings are a big deal. They're special occasions. The community is gathered uh, for both the witnessing of the vows before God, and then the community celebrates the vows of those who have taken them, um, usually with great hospitality, with food and with drink. Guests come from near and far to the banquet. If you've been married or been to a wedding or a reception, you may know that often there are special seats that are set aside for special guests. And so maybe, I don't know who that would be, but you know who gets to sit at those tables. But imagine, Jesus says, the mother or the father of the bride coming to you and saying, um, friend, you have sat in the place that we had reserved for the bride's great-grandmother. 
and you are going to have to leave that place up near the front. And there are some seats way back there in the back. I think you'll be able to find one. Now, if that happened to you or me, we would be embarrassed. If that happened in Jesus' day, where the code of honor and shame was much more clearly defined, that guest would be deeply ashamed. He or she would be absolutely humiliated. So Jesus says that a proper guest will take their lead from the host. Take a seat at the back, he says, and if you're asked to come up to the front, then you will be doubly honored. But I don't really think Jesus' main concern here was about table manners, do you? Because here's the punchline to the parable. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, that's the way it always is with Jesus and Christ's kingdom. The first are always last. The high are always low. And the highest are, are always, the, the, the high is, the low is high, the high is low, the first is last. You know what it is. This idea of humility, though, as Debbie told the children, is such a big idea in Christ's kingdom. And it's really hard to get our heads around sometimes. Um, I looked it up in Webster's, and I really like their definition. Humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. I love that, freedom from pride or arrogance. And humility is not God's responsibility, but it's ours. We are to humble ourselves. Scripture, Old and New Testaments tell us over and over again that this takes some serious self-management. So do any of you remember the country song? It's from 1974 by a singer named Mac Davis. Oh, Lord, do you remember? It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Ooh, what a song. I know people like that. And, you know, sometimes I see her in that mirror at my house. It's hard to be humble, especially when we have accomplished things or we have some success in life. And as a parent, I feel like it can be even worse regarding my children because I am so proud of them when they do something wonderful that I'll tell everybody about it. And I have to turn off the spigot. So sometimes our pride, though, in, in our accomplishments or in others can blind us to the effects that our enthusiasms might have on someone else. We might do or say things that unintentionally exclude someone or make them feel bad. Have you ever said, been in the company of one person and said something about another person and then walked away and said to yourself, oh my goodness, what I did in that comment that I made, even if it was true, is I have made that person look smaller. Why? So that I might make myself look just a little bit better. It happens to us. Have you ever said or done something that seems perfectly normal and right to you and then learn later on that you have offended or hurt someone's feelings? We all make these sorts of gaffes. Usually it happens when we're just not thinking. 
Every year at our house, we get a stack of Christmas cards in the mail. I know some of you do too. And some of those cards come with these wonderful letters, some of them many pages long. And they let us know what's been going on in the lives of a family from in, since the previous year. And for those of us who are separated from friends for, by long distances, and I'm one of those people, we're really glad to get those letters. But we might believe that if we just read them on the surface, that their children are all good-looking and well-behaved. We might believe that their vacations are either exotic adventures or great indulgences. And we might believe that everybody in their family and in their lives gets along and they, there's just no friction at all. Now, that's a temptation for all of us, but I'll tell you today with social media, the temptation is much, much greater. It is so easy just to hop on social media and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. It is so hard. Now, you, some of you may know this story, and it is true. I have fact-checked it. In 2012, in Waco, Nebraska, a bank was robbed by a teenage girl and she got away with $6,000, and when the police came to investigate, the uh, bank employees were able to tell them, give them a good description of the girl and of the escape vehicle. But as it turned out, none of that information was needed because later on that evening, the girl herself posted her crime on YouTube. She had a video where she was fanning the money in front of the camera, and then she held up a sign, and it read, I just stole a car and robbed a bank. Now I'm rich. I can pay off my college financial aid, and tomorrow I'll go on a shopping spree. Her brief criminal enterprise was quickly extinguished, as you can imagine. But, oh, Lord, it is hard to be humble. Now, did you notice in this passage that after pointing out what the Pharisees were doing, Jesus took a swipe at the host of the gathering? He said, next time you have a party, why don't you not invite these guys who really are only looking for payback and looking to make each other look good, but why don't you invite people who can't repay you? The poor, the blind, the, the lonely, the, the loveless, you know, invite those people who have nowhere to go and who cannot advance you in any way. Jesus points out one of the tricks we all know about of self-advancement that can douse the humility of any of us. It's this idea of reciprocity. I honor you, and later on, you honor me. You invite me to your party and include me, and that means you're on my guest list the next time it comes around. I have a window washing business and I go wash your windows in hopes that next time uh, you will, you will uh, repay the favor by uh, giving me a family hamburger dinner or something. You'll honor me. It's I scratch your back, you scratch mine, otherwise known as quid pro quo. 
While some of this might be simply about developing savvy and trusted relationships with other people in our communities, we have to recognize that this sort of engagement is transactional. You give something, you expect something in return. And Jesus is saying that kingdom values are not that way at all. They're very different. It, you know, and the reason for this has to do with what we who follow Jesus believe about God. We believe that all we have, all we are, are gifts from God. As the old hymn goes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine. God made it, God owns it, and at the end of the day, you and I are just managers of what God has entrusted to us. Even those things we work for, like Debbie said, our accomplishments are also gifts of God. As we know, even our relationship with God is a gift. We don't know God because we're good enough or smart enough or good-looking enough. We know God because the God of the universe decided to put on flesh and blood and come be with us to teach us about what it means to God's people. It's all grace. Now, God's grace is not without an effect on us. It's not without effect on this community and other Christ-following communities around the world. When Eric and I were young parents, we went to church at the, a Presbyterian church, a large church in Evanston, Illinois, and each Saturday, this church hosted a meal for the homeless and the hungry in the area. And the meal was held in the church dining room, which was actually an upstairs dining room. And the, it's about as large as the chapel. I was telling, that's about how large the dining room is. If you've ever been in the chapel at this church, that's about right. Round tables set up everywhere throughout that large dining room covered with white tablecloths. A woman named Helen had always been in charge of this meal, and by the time Eric and I arrived on the scene, Helen was well into her 80s. I was so glad that I took the time one day to ask Helen how this glorious feast began. And she told me of a time in her life when her husband died. She was in her 60s, and she said, I said, Lord, what am I to do? How am I to serve? And the answer to her, with her prayers came this idea that came to be known as Super Saturday. Um, they welcome the homeless, they love them, treat them with dignity, they return each week, and uh, grace is given and grace is received. So when I asked her, like, how have you done this for over 20 years? She said, the Lord is faithful. The Lord has provided the people the Lord has provided the food. And I said, well, aren't you afraid welcoming everybody off the street and upstairs in the church with you? And she said, no. When you treat people as Jesus treated them, they respond. We cook for them. We set the tables for them. We know them. We are a safe place for them. God's grace in our lives is not without effect. Grace transforms those who receive it and those who give it. There is really not a lot of reciprocity or tit for tat or repayment in God's kingdom. 
So as recipients of God's grace, we are always growing in how to become more generous givers of grace. Now, as I sat with this little parable, here's where I found the greatest irony of this little story about the Pharisees. Those Pharisees, the hosts and the guests, were in the very presence of the one human being in all of human history most worthy of honor and praise and glory and respect, and they had no idea. Because we know Jesus was fully God, descended in human flesh to be with us, so that he might build a bridge between our broken yet beloved humanity and our gracious and almighty God. Jesus was the one who set the table and made a way for everybody to come to the feast. Do you remember how Jesus uh, spent the last night with his disciples? It was around a table, wasn't it? He said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and so this is what I want you to do. I want you to do what I do. And then what he did was shocking. He got a towel and a basin of water, and he washed his disciples' feet. And this was his example for how it is that we are to live in community with one another and with those outside of these walls. We are to serve one another. And then, as they were sharing supper, um, he gave them the gift of a meal, a meal that we celebrate around this table. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. This is a meal that is open to all who come. It's a meal at which we give thanks to God for all of God's gifts to us. It is at this meal where we are nourished by the body and the blood of Christ, and we are strengthened and forgiven and renewed and sent out for another day of going into our world, being the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus. So what do we take away from this? I'd say we take away that our tables are an essential part of our life together. We are a people of the table. And it is here at this table where we learn to be God's forever family. I think this, uh, this relates very much to what the church will begin next Sunday in our Sunday evening gatherings. Um, this will be a time of table fellowship for us to learn and grow and gather with one another. So I encourage everyone to give this a try. If you can only come for part of the evening, come. If the idea of being with a smaller group of disciples and exploring the life of faith together and strengthening one another appeals to you, find a place and come. Check it out. If you miss worship, on Sunday morning, come on Sunday night. If you are hungry for community and fellowship with others, come. If you would like to receive the great sustenance that the Lord's Supper offers us, come, because in worship every Sunday evening, the Lord's Supper will be shared and celebrated. If you have a friend who falls into those categories, drive over, pick them up, bring them down. 
so that they might receive some of, the, of our grace. All are welcome at Christ's table of grace. Please pray with me. Holy God, we are humbled by the welcome you give. By your grace, transform us to be generous grace givers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.